morning crypto. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Bitcoin reached out to over $52,000. As we were approaching there, I did make another sell of my Bitcoin. So I'm now 50% sold on my Bitcoin holdings. Coinbase announced that it will be suspending trading in XRP on January 19th. Late last night, of course, just Monday evening, like 7, 8, 9 o'clock at night. Brad Garlinghouse, the CEO of Ripple, boasts today the SEC voted to attack crypto. Chairman Jay Clayton, in his final act, is picking winners and trying to limit U.S. innovation in the crypto industry to Bitcoin and Ethereum. In which he linked to an article over here on Fortune that says, Ripple says it will be sued by the SEC in what the company calls a parting shot at the crypto industry. This is the blockchain backer bringing you the latest cryptocurrency news and analysis. Good morning, Warriors. Hello and welcome back to another episode of your favorite crypto news channel, Good Morning Crypto, where we bring you the most relevant and impactful crypto related topics from a top crypto research team in the world. I'm your host, Abs, joined by several members of our 3T family this morning. We got the Italian, Italian staff, Mr. Mr. Johnny Crypto, Mario, also known as the node joining us on this Wednesday. And somebody, somebody really needs no introduction on our channel, a renowned TA expert in the space and somebody our group has been following for several years now. Blockchain backer is in the building, ladies and gentlemen. So I am very excited for today's show. Today on Good Morning Crypto, we will be discussing how the federal judge overseeing the Binance versus SEC case denied the order to freeze the exchange's assets, stating frustration is growing with the SEC's overreach. Ripple CEO Brad Garlinghouse responded to the William Hinman email release, stating fraudulent behavior is now free for public opinion. New litigation was filed yesterday to remove Chairman Gary Gensler from the SEC, stating capital markets need to be protected from tyrannical behavior. And with the William Hinman documents being exposed yesterday, shocking details were revealed about the agency. We break down the details, showing our community how institutions are creating the greatest opportunity of our era. Our show is available on your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Music. And for those of you listening via podcast, our show is live on YouTube Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern at the 3T Warrior Academy channel. So Johnny Crypto, it is quite the day today, not because of the Hinman emails, not because of the Binance lawsuit, but we got the blockchain backer in the building, man. So I'm super excited. How are you feeling? Abs, I am super excited as well. Good morning to all the Warrior Maniacs out there. I love you guys. Appreciate you guys every single day. Mario, great to see you too. But Abs, I am super, super, su- I can't even tell you how excited I am. Because when I first got started in crypto, one of the main guys that I watched all the time was BC Backer. I even got his numbers still printed out. Here they are. I still got all his targets up on my sheet. I put all this together. I love this man. And I'll tell you what was great. Every time when you're new in this space, right, and you try to follow crypto, like it's a heart attack. It's a heart attack thing, right? Your your coins are up, your coins are down. Like, what the hell's going on? And then all those depths when things were crashing, like, oh my god, what's going on? This man always perfectly timed out putting a video to kind of calm you down and be like, oh, okay, that's what's going on. So BC backer, I don't know if you know that, but I appreciated that every time, and I know the community does too. 
Thank, Thank you, you for putting those timely videos out. Love you, man. Thank you so much, Johnny. And we got the Node Defender joining us as well. Mario, how are you feeling this morning? And thank you for being here. Yeah, I appreciate it. Good morning, everybody. Hey, guys, sorry in the chat. I put people on timeout because I saw the frog and then instantly I thought of a meme coin. So I apologize about that, but <laughs> I know. And uh, But super excited to be here. Good morning, everybody. Excited to see Blockchain Backer, Johnny, Abs. Uh, again, Blockchain Backer, me too, man. Like I was watching your stuff. Like appreciate everything you do. Like you made some really really good calls and uh, your your analysis is very, very on point. So I'm super excited to be here with you today. And I'm really excited to get into it, Blockchain Backer. We're going to do a little XRPTA for our listeners, but we're talking Hinman emails and so much more. But before we get into it, how you feeling, man? Thank you for being here. It was a pleasure meeting you in Vegas. I mean, obviously we ran into each other at XRP Las Vegas and uh, you guys wanted me on the show. You guys were nice. And I said, dude, let's do it. And uh, wow, what a nice intro. You guys didn't show me the intro before we started. So I watched that live with you guys. And uh, boy, that triggered some good memories and some bad memories, but definitely hype. You could feel it, man. I like that. Uh, the background music, you crushed it, Mario. Amazing uh, job, Mario. Yeah, man. And, and, th and I, hear, I hear that a lot that, you know, whatever it is, it's more of just like keeping everybody cool keeping everybody calm in the literal most volatile uh, asset class uh, out there. Um, and you look back on that part. I, I was seeing that part where it was like at $51,000. Okay. I've sold half of my Bitcoin. Like I don't look back on that, like with a fond memory, <laughs> like uh, what was amazing was the moments that were right before that, you know, we had just gone through kind of like what we're going through now. We went, we'd gone through a long bear, you know, we'd gone through 2018, 2019, 2020. We just gone through C19 and, you know, everybody's pessimistic and then the world is turning around and like things are skyrocketing and everything's fun and we're all having a great time and how difficult it is when we're all having that great time where Elon Musk just announced where that Tesla had bought Bitcoin, right? And uh, he had announced that that was a week before that that video clip was that Tesla announced that. And then, um, you know, you got laser eyes, you got diamond hands, you got Wall Street bets, you got all the, the fun stuff of the market. And the market is screaming sell Bitcoin at that time and how difficult that is. And so a lot of times on my channel, when things are really exciting, I'm that guy who's kind of like, ah, you know, eh. uh, or when things are really scary and depressing and, and shocking, it being like, well, look, here's the optimistic side of it, right? This is kind of where we go down to and, and you try to find a base of support to, to catapult yourself back up. And we're kind of emotionally just ingrained different like we're we're just we're trained to be excited and full of fomo when price goes up and we're trained to be scared and pessimistic and toxic and negative when prices are down and and uh, i i think a lot what i did many years ago is i kept something called an emotional log where i just tracked myself like when am i feeling like garbage when am i feeling awesome and then like in this emotional log i would write down everything like i would like if you watch my youtube channel i really try not to use profanity i try to avoid politics and try to avoid religion and try to avoid everything controversial you hear that johnny you hear that he avoids profanity look at this guy i do i do but if you read my emotional log <laughs> it is a different story there are plenty of f-bombs <laughs> there's plenty of self-depreciating comments about me saying you know how stupid are you like you were just a loser um, and just talking garbage about myself in my emotional log while I'm buying in November and December of 2018. And like, and then going through like the market recovering off the lows of uh, June of 2019 and Bitcoin getting back up to 14K. And we're all like, yeah. And you can just like read it in my comment, in my emotional log of how excited I was. And like, I just carry that with me that I've 
like I have this backtrack record of knowing like when I'm super emotional, that's a typically incorrect response to what is actually happening in the market. And I have data points to go back and view it. So I carry that kind of experience with me to the channel. And I, I it seems um, a lot of people resonate with that. And so I try to continue that. And I appreciate you pointing that out. I'm glad that's helped you. I, I never really realized I did that so much until I went to XRP Las Vegas and a hundred people told me that. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, that's uh, just what I, what I try to do. And, and it's always cool seeing how you can impact the community, right, BCB? You brought up something important, which is you like to provide calmness and clarity to many of your followers. Well, hopefully we can do the same thing today, guys. And we got 573 Good. live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And we're going to get this show started the same way we always do by showing you my Good Morning Crypto Twitter account. That's at 3TGM Crypto at 4,500 followers. Go smash that follow button. I love talking to you. The Bitcoin fear and greed index is in neutral this morning, actually in moderate fear, Johnny, sitting at a 46. When we check out some of the daily movers, it is green across the board. Lots of green bubbles for our listeners out there. When we check out the total coin market cap this morning, we are sitting at 1.5 trillion in total market cap. Bitcoin is 47% dominance. Ethereum is about 20%. We've got Bitcoin sitting just below 26,000. Ethereum, 1,800 and XRP, barely holding 50 cents this morning. And BCB, I think this is a great time to kick it back to you. With all the news coming out yesterday, many of our listeners were wondering, why are the charts dumping? But we said it from day one, buy the rumor, sell the news. And we know you share a similar mm -hmm. sentiment. So with that being said, I'd love to kick it over to you for some TA. Yeah, well, I think you, you probably nailed that better than me. Uh, buy the rumor, sell the news. Uh, pro probably what is exactly happening here. Um, so I guess I'll go ahead and screen share. Let's see if uh, we can do it. Share screen. Awesome. We got it. First try. All Perfect. right. Sweet. Okay. So, you know, it depends on how you want to look at it. You want to look at it from a longer term time frame or a shorter term time frame. So all the stuff we have dealt with for the last couple of weeks uh, has taken place in here. So this is all the anticipation of the Hinman emails being released. Um, as you guys know, we had a, a pop-up that happened in March. We pulled back in here. This is a pullback to the 200-day moving average. Holds on top of the 200-day moving average. Bounces right back up and gets right back to near the top of the range. <clears throat> installs there. So the big question has been, can we break out of here? But um, the, I, I think it's important, at least the way I portray it, and the, my thought process is I'm operating on a bigger time frame, operating on a bigger range. I'm looking to uh, much bigger prices. And uh, in Elliott Wave Theory, I'm not going to go too into it. This would be called a contracting triangle in ABCDE. Um, but another way I talk about these is you have a crash, you have a retrace, you have a reaccumulation, and then you can go on into a run, which we've seen that XRP has done before. Initial 94% crash. It's what we have here, 95% crash. Retrace, followed by an 83% correction that happens on the reaccumulation, which is exactly what we have in here. Then we go on into reaccumulate before finally the market is able to continue up and go higher. So my perception of the market, my interpretation of the market is that that time is nearing and we're going to get the opportunity for this thing to finally run. And but, you know, obviously we're still stuck in a phase where we're in just accumulation phase happening down in here. And we're just not wanting to leave it just yet and still just rampaging around in here uh, until it's time, time to finally exit. And um, so one of the things that uh, we've been looking at, we've been monitoring, well, is this it, right? So have we already done um, all of our selling climax, our automatic rally, followed by our secondary test heading into spring, which would be a Wyckoff accumulation schematic. It's I'm not going to go too detailed. I don't know how much your audience uh, follows TA, um, but essentially we're, we're looking for a sign of strength to emerge. And this is essentially where we can finally break and leave the range. And, you oh. know, we got, 
got ru- go ahead. Uh, one of the things our listeners are always commenting on is we've talked about that level of resistance at 58 cents. And it's very interesting that we went up to 56 yesterday and hit a, a solid level where we just bounced right back to 50. So I'd love to hear what you're anticipating. What are some of the key levels that you're watching for if we can break 58, where are we headed from there? All right. Well, the, the first thing is you could just see there's like daily closes. It just, we were, it was optimistic to be like, Hey, we could hold that. Like let's at least get a daily close above, but still we just can't close a day above 54. It's just still stuck there. It keeps wicking up to that level. And, but the, the, before we get into upward targets, the, the thing that happened yesterday. And so like we get back into retracement um, levels and typically if we can get through these retracement levels, that's an optimistic sign for things to get out, but we get out and we push up on, um, pretty okay volume we get pushing up through the final retracement levels it's typically a moment where things are going to be exciting problem is it happens exactly when the emails get released and then afterwards we get just massive rejection volume um not even baby volume not even like oh price just fell down and the level of actual volume that we saw happen in here um in regards to the selling um is so significant uh we can just look back at what the last two last two weeks have been like uh, to see that, you know, when Binance got sued by the SEC uh, and the whole market sold off last Monday, uh, that's how much volume we had. Um, when we had that overnight liquidation event that happened this past weekend, that, that's how much volume uh, we ended up having. And we just now in that sell off and that rejection uh, from that level, uh, the sell volume exceeded even the $400 million of liquidations that happened in the market over the weekend. So there's a significant resistance sitting right here. Um, and I would be for me personally, I'm just cautious of whether or not we're ready to get out of this range just yet. So now moving over to your question, um, getting out of the range, right? The first thing, you know, going through these cycles, when you come out of these bearish periods and you try to work your way back up, it's always going to be, for me, retracements. And it's always just going to be where we're going to have lots of struggles at. Um, there's a lot of struggling here at a 618 retracement, which is about a buck 30, the big one there at about a buck 45. Um, and again, it's just the same story. You leave one range, then you start trading the next range. And in that range, you're going to have third range boundaries. And so really the next whole level to struggle at is about that $1.45 to probably $1.12. Pretty big range up in there. But that's really the, that's where our next big struggle, if there is going to be one, would be likely to occur at. Um, otherwise, for me... We, I think you have something you want to talk about with higher targets later. We can go into that later. But I think that the bigger struggle, if we can get out of here, the next phase obviously is the, the next trading range, third range boundary, which is a little bit above a dollar. So, Johnny, I'm sure you have some comments here, and I'd love to give you a chance. You brought up an interesting theory yesterday about what your price targets are based off the lawsuit in and of itself. So I'd love for you to break that down and then give BCB a chance to respond. Well, it's pretty funny because I think I said somewhere around a dollar, <laughs> dollar ten. So that's. <laughs> Kind of lines up perfectly with BCB saying, but abs. What I've really been saying is, I feel like as a whole, these markets move with liquidity, and you know everybody was saying yesterday, well, "What? What the heck? Why aren't we seeing a dollar or two dollars?" The Hinman emails came out, or when we get settlement, everybody's gonna be like, "Why aren't we getting you know two dollars, five dollars, ten dollars?" And no, guys, the reality is you have to understand we're in a speculative market. Speculative market moves when there's money in it. There has to be money, and so abs. I found this this awesome chart today that i wanted to share with you guys because i do have a question for bcb on this and it kind of this kind of proved my theory a little bit more to myself i had a gut feeling on this but but you know seeing the data kind of helps bring it more together so yeah if you could pull that back up again what you're seeing there is that gray line shows you 
the global liquidity that's placed into the market. So basically money to go do something with, right? And then the blue line represents the actual crypto currency cap market. So everybody says that, you know, crypto market pumps on, on the having, and that's the reason. But you know me being an engineer, like, no, 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 I like to dig a little deeper. So is it really the having or are there other external factors that play into it? And I've always felt that liquidity was one of those big things that played into it, Abs. And when you take a look here, so I marked up that chart. And what I noticed was if you look at this past bull run, we went from $20 trillion of, of our global liquidity to $32 trillion. So we added $12 trillion, the whole world did, in liquidity. And we saw that we got a bump up in the crypto market, or in this case, BTC, I should say, or the, the market cap, you know, went all the way up to uh, $2.5 trillion versus a half a trillion. So we gained about $2 trillion or 20%. We got about 20% of the global liquidity flew into crypto. So I went back and looked at the last one back in 2017. And you can see there, surprisingly, very similar. We got about a $2 trillion bump in liquidity. And that resulted in, in lo and behold, around 20% again, about 400 trillion, a 0.4 trillion, a half a, a half a half a trillion of money flowing into. So now it's got me really believing like, hey, you know, again, just putting more and more pieces of data together here. That it certainly feels like if you get a bull run coupled with a liquidity event, you're going to get, you know, a nice growth in the crypto space. But the real question that I have here, and this is really, I guess, to BC, your thoughts, is as we move into this next bull run, that's or I should say having next year, we know that there's one thing that might be different. It looks like right now we're not in a liquid, we're not pumping liquidity in the market, we're sucking liquidity out. So the question is... Do we get a similar bump that everybody's expecting or is it going to be a really, really dud this next time around if we're not having that liquidity pumped into the market again? I'm curious. So your thoughts. So what do you think? Is my theory crazy? Am I nuts? Is there any water that is? Does this hold any water? What's your thoughts? Well, it's the most controversial topic in crypto. <laughs> you know? So, you know, it, it depends on what you think and you can run through all the data on it. Right. So you, you either have magic. And magic is going to be your four-year block reward halvings, but it, the, the concept of it is not based on magic um, or you have whether or not it's based on the stock market, which in essence would be based on global liquidity, right? Um, so the concept of the halving, of course, is that every single day, a certain amount of Bitcoins are being produced and they're being rewarded to miners and that these miners have to sell them every single day. Um, right now, I believe the current number is 900 Bitcoins per day. Um, and so 900 Bitcoins per day are rewarded to miners. And then those miners have to sell them every single day to fund their businesses. They are not like you and me, hodlers who are like down with you know the dollar. They're running real businesses. They've got big buildings filled with mining equipment. They're there to make a profit. So there's this 900 Bitcoins worth of sell pressure that's placed down on the market every single day. Every time we have a block reward having that cuts that in half, right? So after the next block reward having only 450 Bitcoins will be rewarded per day. So if, if buying pressure remains the same, and then if, if fixed sell pressure is cut in half, the theoretical idea is that price rises because there's more, now there's more buyers and there are sellers. And if you look throughout history, if you look at 2012, uh, you look at 2016 and you look at the 2020 halvings, 2012, it was like 90 days after the halving. Then Bitcoin breaks into a new all-time high. Uh, 2016, it's like 200 days. 2020, it's like 200 days. So they've got they've got data to go back and look at and claim this is it. This is why it happens. We we have the evidence. It's 90 days, 150 days, 200 days. Then eventually, 
uh, we get the breakout into the new all-time high due to the block reward having due to the reduced sell pressure of the miners. Um, but there's another correlation that's even more closely tied, which is what we talked about at XRP Las Vegas. It's like, oh gosh, uh, is that really when you look at the stock market? Uh, so we're talking about 90 days, we're talking about 180 days, we're talking about 205 days, or like the actual numbers for how many days it is between a halving and a breakout. But if you look at the stock market, you will notice that that 2012 bull run, that 2013 bull run was actually timed within, it broke out within two weeks of the Dow Jones Industrial Average clearing the great financial crisis high. Hmm. And you go look at 2016 and 2017, that breakout in a new all-time highs actually shows up like within... 50 days or something, 40 days of the Dow Jones breaking out and, you know, Donald Trump winning the election. And then the stock market just rips all of 2017, right? That's us too, crypto ripping right along with it. Um, and then you go to 2020, we have C19 and then we break out after we set a new high after C19. And then within three weeks or whatever it is, two weeks, crypto Bitcoin breaks out and goes into a new all-time high with the Dow. So there's like this ridiculous correlation between breakouts of new all-time highs with the stock market that are much more tighter than the block reward having. And so the big debate, the big argument over is which one is it? You know, what would have happened if, you know, because there's such, the dates are so close, 100 days, 200 days for the block reward having versus stock market. My thought process is it's hard to argue with the stock market idea. It's hard to argue, which would tie back into your global liquidity idea. It's hard to argue it when the dates are so close. It's not like with the block reward. Like, so here's here's the thing, right? Here's our here's a problem with block reward having, right? Here's a problem with four-year cycles, right? Everybody says we have four-year cycles, um, which would be that you know, we bottomed in 2018 in November and December, right? We bottomed four years later in November and December of 2022, right? We topped in December of 2017, and then we top in November of 2022. Those are all four years apart, right? Boom, you're good. But the block reward halvings aren't exactly four years apart. And it's <laughs> right. one thing that nobody talks about. That's right. About like the, between 2012 and between 2016, there's actually three years and seven months. And then between 2016 and, and 2022, it was actually three years and 11 months. So like it's like if you look at the, that total time there, that's actually only that's seven years and eight, eight months. months. Yes, yeah, seven years and eight months, but there's the perfect four-year cycles of Bitcoin. But we're using a theory of saying it has to do with four-year block reward havings that aren't exactly four years. Um, so it's a big controversy over who is right over that. And obviously, the next block reward having would be the one to dictate it. Does it happen with it with the stock market? Um, but yeah, one would think that the stock market would have to recover. What, what you know. I, I'm not sure how updated that global liquidity, it looked like it was pretty updated. Um, obviously, if you look at the NASDAQ right now, the NASDAQ is back at its retracement levels today. Um, if you look at the Dow Jones Industrial Average, it's back at its retracement levels today. So we've actually seen the stock market move up a bit um, in relation to the global central bank liquidity. Um, so keeping it, um, for me personally, maybe, maybe it has to do with the global liquidity, but also focusing on the rotational behavior of the stock market currently right now. And if there's going to be some rotation play happening over there. One of the theories that we've been running on our channel is the fact that we could see a situation where Bitcoin and XRP are the only two tokens that have, I guess, a regulatory free pass, right? But you're actually painting a completely opposite theory where you think Bitcoin has peaked out. And until the NASDAQ breaks its all-time high, Bitcoin's going to follow that same correlation. So the question I have 
for you is specifically looking at the price charts, everything else aside, what are you seeing with Bitcoin compared to the altcoins? Are they starting to detach from one another? Or do you think these markets are going to be correlated going into 2025? 2025. So that's a little ways away. Or 2024, yeah. sorry. 2024. Um, uh, and whether or not Bitcoin and altcoins will be correlated? Is that your yeah. question? Like, do you think we'll see a situation where Bitcoin is maybe going down or trading sideways and altcoins begin to run or vice versa? So you have to look at times when altcoins run and like we all create our own theories and hypothesis on why one particular coin will do its own thing. It'll have its own use case. But currently in the market regime that we're in right now, it really operates with Bitcoin. And it's been either Bitcoin has to be breaking out into a new all time high after a multi-year bear. That's when altcoins run. Uh, you can just cross track all your favorite altcoins throughout history. That's when all of them do it. It's when Ethereum does it too. Uh, it's when XRP does it. It's when Cardano does it. It doesn't matter which one you love. It's going to happen when Bitcoin's breaking out into all-time high and be pathetic otherwise. The grand theory here, the concept of it occurring prior to that um, would be that if you also check um, the other scenarios where the altcoin seasons happen and where altcoins can run, and that tends to be as Bitcoin has already peaked and if it's going back in for a retracement, so if you look at 2018 and you look at 2022, excuse me, 2021. So 2017 and 2021, we're talking short time periods. We're talking like three weeks, right? Bitcoin tops, falls three weeks later. Uh, we have alt season and then boom, a crash crumbles into a bear. We're way past that three week period, right? We're about two years into this thing at this point. So the big question is, is this a bigger uh, the most one of the most controversial things I have just kind of plays off this idea. What if the stock market isn't going to set a new all time high? Then what happens to Bitcoin? Well, then that would mean this is nothing more than a big giant retrace for Bitcoin. Right? That's all this is. And then Bitcoin's got to turn over and head down even lower, which is like unfathomable. Think about it's um, witchcraft to speak about Bitcoin not getting a new all time high. So we're talking something super controversial here um, to even to even bring that up. And if we're going to get some other type of run without Bitcoin going to new all-time highs, you would have to think it's like at the peak of Bitcoin into some type of retracement in which we're on a big, massive cycle. I'm not sure how familiar you guys are with it, but how that top got called in 2021 was based on a factor of really two separate things. One, that Bitcoin was in a super cycle and we were in the final leg of the super cycle and a 4.236 extension. The thing about that is that was Bitcoin's third super cycle. The only reason we could even predict that there was a super cycle in the first place is because it's done it two times before. That's the third one. So if you have three super cycles, that means you have three impulsive waves within a large motive wave. And in technical analysis, it's called an Elliott wave. So it's a, a motive wave, one, two, three, four, five, where you have super cycle, correction, super cycle, correction, super cycle. So we, that's our third super cycle that we've had. Does that mean that it has to go into a much longer correction for Bitcoin? And uh, that's the big debate. That's the big question. And uh, leaning back on what um, was said there, let me share my screen really fast. If I can figure this out. There we go. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. There you go. Awesome. Uh, you know, that Bitcoin was created. Right there. 
Yep. It's the bottom of the financial crisis. That's where it was created. So if this goes and sets new all-time highs, right, if the NASDAQ and the, particularly the Dow Jones, and the Dow Jones looks very similar to this, so Dow Jones is back at the 702 retracement. But Bitcoin's creation was down here. And I think it's, it's just fair to address it and look at it and say, it's interesting of where we started. We haven't got, like, this has been the history of Bitcoin's life, <laughs> right? It hasn't had too hard of a life when it comes to the stock market and liquidity and the markets. And like, if maybe, right, like, if maybe, like, this thing is going to correct more than this and that this is just some type of a retracement uh, that, you know, well, maybe, maybe Bitcoin's not going to go into a new all-time high. I think it's a fair uh, debate uh, to discuss. And uh, with where we sit today, being back in the retracement levels, uh, especially uh, as we get to a, a 702 retracement on the day that the Fed is going to pause the interest rate hiking cycle. It's very interesting. Very interesting. And since you have your screen shared, BCB. Oh, I just turned it off, bro. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Turn it back on. I'll turn it back on. Okay. So while you're pulling that up again, I'd love to just go into some XRP price targets. If you saw a breakout, I know a lot of our listeners are interested. We actually developed an application called Merlin. We're going to be launching very soon. And it's going to help our listeners execute on some of these price targets. But when you look at the XRP price chart, we often referenced how before the SEC lawsuit, we were sitting at 70 cents, pulled back to 17, and then went up to $1.90 all within a four-month period. Now, we can have an open discussion right now about what would have happened to XRP's price chart if we never got hit with the SEC lawsuit because we could have broken all-time high and gone into price discovery. So the question that I have for you is when you're looking at the XRP price chart, let's highlight a scenario where we do break past all-time highs. What would be the first levels of resistance that you're looking at? Well, man, how do you know we're not just living in a simulation? We are. I mean, we are. <laughs> oh, am I not you screen sharing? Wait, well. I'm, I'm simulation screen sharing? Yeah. No, you are. You're screen sharing. I don't we think see so. That's not what I'm on. I'm not oh. sharing the NASDAQ. Oh, maybe I'm sharing the wrong one. Oh, yeah. yeah, you, uh, yeah. Okay, hold on. Here we go. So hang in there, guys. We're going to get the price targets. <laughs> there we go. So how do you know, you know, we all talk about if the SEC hadn't done what they've done. Well, how do we know we just aren't in a crazy wacky world simulation and that it was all built into it i'm gonna get we're gonna get more serious than talking about that um but the the cold hard reality is the the structure of it and the behavior of it it's just absurd uh if if you check out just how it's behaved in here uh that this thing corrected uh 85 which is also what we corrected uh back here in 2015, uh, 85, 85. Uh, this one says 85.38%, 85.38%. Uh, literally identical uh, consolidations to what we had um, from back in the past. Um, so, you know, if we're talking major price targets, I'm, I'm not necessarily sold that uh, we're going to follow this fractal and that's the height of which it's going to go. I, I've built a pretty strong uh, argument on why. I have my uh, targets that I have, which is really close to that $10 area um, if we were to get a full-fledged uh, breakout. And the justification for that is that uh, when we look at Bitcoin, when we look at Ethereum and where their tops were, their tops came in at 4.236 Fibonacci extensions. Um, I'll bring those up for us really quick. Mm -hmm. And Johnny floor is yours afterwards. Once we get uh, finish up this segment, yep. guys, there was an article circulating on Twitter just while you're pulling this up, BCB. Sure. Earlier this 
morning. It said XRP price targets may soar between $12 and $50. And the reason that we like to promote, I guess, realistic price targets on our channel is because we made the mistake of going through a bull market and having no appreciation for the high prices that we saw. We think that in 2025, even if we do get a bull run and people think XRP is going to go to 50 bucks, they're going to watch this thing go to $8 and then go right back into the same accumulation process. So I just wanted to throw that in there before you continue. Yeah. And so one of the really difficult things about uh, 2019 through 2021 is it was a very different market from what happened in 2015 to 2017. So in 2015 to 2017, you could have bought the top 10 assets. Nine out of 10 of them would have made you a millionaire uh, just by buying the top 10. That was not the case in, in 2019 through 2021. Um, the average returns of the top 10 in 2015 to 2017 in just the first leg um, if you remember, there was two different altcoin season legs that ended up happening in the market back in 2017. And uh, if just the first leg, the average return of the top 10 was 70x. Um, wow. The, the average return of the top 10 um, entirely during 2021 was like around like from when you pick specific dates of saying like November of 2019 to Elon Musk time period, May of 2021, the average return was 12x. So we're looking at a 70x of 2017 to a 12x of uh, 2021. Um, and in addition, uh, only two out of every 10 like gave higher than average returns. So you, ha you had to like really be a good picker uh, to be able to get those ones. And so not having appreciation for how high prices were um, maybe for stuff that didn't set new all-time highs, but for the stuff that did set new all-time highs, there were some pretty clear signals in there. And it was really just these fibs, hitting this fib extension. So uh, the market cap of Ethereum reaches out, pinpoints, nails, uh, 4.236 extension. I say it, I'm out. Um, I think a lot of people missed that one that I did get out on Ethereum too on uh, the day of the top. Um, but I, we also had Ethereum Classic do exactly this. It went on and hit a 4.236 extension on its market cap. It's probably the scariest chart you'll ever see. Uh, and you know what's okay, crazy? Look at that, this. Uh, you know what's crazy on that BCB is I I remember that that time exactly, and I remember also looking at some of the other OG coins like Bitcoin Cash and EOS yeah. and Dash, and those unfortunately did not set all time mm -hmm. highs for the previous alt season. Why do you think that is? Do you have a theory on that? Um, yeah, so we have a new market. So I think one of the bigger things to look at um, when it comes to picking, and I'm recording this other video for it right now, is to try to think you're going to have to be dang good, like insanely good to be able to, moving forward, to be able to pick out a portfolio that um, is not going to have some losers in it. Um, I've gone back and cross-checked and pre and tried to replay uh 2019 if you were like in that phase of accumulating like here we are four years later it's 2023 right we're all probably accumulating adding to our bags preparing for the next run right what were the things that you could have been looking at and so if you look at like the top five at that time you look at the top 10 of that time um what you had in the top 10 back in 2019 in uh november of 2019 is you had bitcoin ethereum xrp Number five, Bitcoin Cash. You had Litecoin. Number seven, EOS, Binance Coin. Bitcoin SV in the top 10. Uh, Tezos, 
and Stellar. So that's your top 10 in 2019. Bitcoin, Ethereum, XRP, Bitcoin Cash, Litecoin, EOS, Binance Coin, Bitcoin SV, Tezos, and Stellar. If you would have looked at the on-chain transaction volume of what was happening in the market at that time, who are your big winners at that time? It's Bitcoin and Ethereum, obviously, right? So of course, throw Bitcoin and Ethereum. But if you want to venture down the list a little bit further, who's got the number one amount of total transactions per day um, out of any blockchain? It's EOS. Who has number one of volumes in dollars? It's, it's Bitcoin Cash. Uh, Bitcoin Cash is doing over $1 billion of transaction volume a day. Um, EOS is doing over 5 million transactions per day. So these two were signaling like they were the top dogs. Um, and, and there's developer data out there exists to show these reports on who was performing the best at that time and who was the most optimistic. And the clear signs in there from that developer data would have been Bitcoin Cash and with um, EOS. But there was one underlying data that I've got data point that I've gone back and cross-referenced to look through that the history to say, well, was there anything else that could have signaled that? And the thing was looking to see, was there, regardless of if there was extremely high transaction counts, extremely high USD transactions, was there developer decline? Okay. If there was a decline in developers on that asset, you will find you will weed out losers a lot easier. So like I just said a second ago, you're gonna have to be dang good to pick zero losers. But the fact was it was two out of 10. And if you're able to cut three out of 10 and increase your odds to two out of seven or two out of six, it's improvement. Um, and I think that was one of the very key metrics to pay attention to. If there was a loss of interest in developers, regardless of transaction volume, that was a sign to run. And here's another article I'd love for us to talk about. You brought up the fact that Cardano, you said something about developer activity leading to success and developers leaving, leading to the deterioration of the blockchain. Well, Cardano's in an interesting situation. Obviously, they were accused of being an unregistered security earlier this week by the SEC. But here we have a tweet that Charles Hoskinson tweeted this at me, blockchain backer, earlier in December. So I'm going to read this and kick it back to you. He said, there's no point in inviting toxicity into your life. It's abusive and pointless. Even in, it, even in it now, we are walking baby memes. Life is too short. XRP provides no partnership or technical value. The community is toxic and petty, and I can live without it. I think these statements are so important because now we're seeing the community come together. And we've even seen Charles Hoskinson ask for peace with the XRP community. So the question that I have for you is with them being accused of being a security, even though they have the most developers on their blockchain, Cardano's in an interesting situation. So overall, how do you view that project? Well... Obviously, the SEC thing throws a pretty big wrench in it. I know we all have a negative view of Charles, and you, know, you can call him a lot of different things and whatever he is. I don't think you're ever going to get a real apology out of him. Um, I'm a man who, like, I, I can forgive people. Like, I get it. Like, people are going to act like dinguses. Um, and the, the reality is he's attempting in Charles's way. You know, if you kind of wished the worst on him, I think he got it. If you're kind of wishing for humility from him, this might be your humility that you're going to get. It might be as best as you're going to get. Um, the thing about Cardano, though, is if you do look at developer activity, is that you know we typically go through seasonalities, too, where developers will fall off. And they typically not only fall off after a capitulation event like with FTX, but they'll also fall off at the beginning of years. And so even as we went through FTX, we went through 3 Euros Capital and Celsius, and we went through just... Um, 
you know, a, a typical seasonality of developer fall off. <clears throat> Cardano is still growing. Uh, now, has that changed since they got uh, deemed a security by the SEC? We probably won't see that data for a couple of months now uh, from now. Um, but at the same time, um, a lot of developers, a lot of uh, passion in that community. Um, and I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't knock on them too quick. I bet they might have something up their sleeve eventually just about how strong they are. You know, the way I look at this whole thing, BC is, um, I really don't care whether he apologizes or not. I, I have, I hold no grudges against them. The reality is there's a whole entire war out. I call it the war on crypto. Uh, that's happening right now where the SEC and the U.S. has decided, you know, they don't want to be the, the for the first time in, in my lifetime, the innovators of the world, which they usually are. And so you're seeing an entire war out on crypto. And the last thing we need, in my opinion, is whether or not anybody's worried about Charles giving an apology. What we need to see is Charles and Ripple and Binance and, and Coinbase and Kraken and everybody come together mm. to balance the scales. Because right now, if they haven't figured it out, <laughs> there's a major war on crypto. And if they stay separated and they're infighting with each other, then they're just going to get picked off one by one by one by the SEC. But if they come together, if they form a coalition, forget this stupid argument back and forth and technicalities. No, that doesn't matter. They're all here for one reason. They all have one passion, one belief. And it's, you know, they all believe in the crypto space, the blockchain, the community. And that's why they're all doing it. Right. And what I'd love to see is for that crypto community to put all that crap aside and come together as a whole and realize the enemy and my enemy is my friend, and you'll see a much, much different battle. And I think crypto will have a much better chance in the future if we can kind of move away from the, the infighting and the bickering and battering that's going on. To me, forget about that. The bigger picture is if crypto is going to survive, we need all of these innovators and brilliant minds and companies to come together and, and, and lobby in the right place to push forward to get true regulation. Absolutely. And BC Backer, I'd love to give you a chance to respond. But guys, we got 868 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. I want to say thank you to Blockchain Backer for making time for us this morning. At the end of this episode today, we're going to get into some exciting revelations about the Hinman documents. And specifically, there was one document revealed where it said a powerful line about XRP and whether it should be considered a security. But before we get into that, guys, we're going to show you the smartest way to track your crypto. Have you gotten wrecked in the crypto market space or watched your crypto portfolio go all the way up and then all the way down without taking profits? If so, it's probably because you didn't have an exit plan. The good news is that doesn't need to happen anymore thanks to a new and innovative crypto tracker called Merlin. It's the smartest way to track your crypto. Merlin brings all your coins into one place so you can see all your assets across the different exchanges on one screen. You can see your total portfolio value and more importantly, your daily gains, losses, and total since inception. Merlin puts the power back in your hands so you no longer have to guess what your portfolio is doing on a daily or monthly basis. Most importantly, Merlin lets you create an exit plan and sends you notifications when your targets are reached so you no longer have to get wrecked in the marketplace. Go to MerlinCrypto.com, that's MerlinCrypto.com, and sign up for our free 30-day trial and get on the wait list so you can receive an email when the product is launched. Don't miss out on this new and innovative app, Merlin. It's the smartest way to track your crypto. Guys, not only is it the smartest way to track your crypto, it was developed by the man you are looking at on the screen right here. And what's so exciting about this is 30 days, absolutely free. We're going to be choosing from the wait list for our beta testers. So guys, please go and sign up. With that being said, we're going to get right into these Hinman documents because I think this is probably some of the most important news for today. 
And we're going to come back to this article because I want to reference one document specifically that really stuck out to me last night. So let me just find this here as XRP could actually have a breaking point due to the release of these documents. And Johnny, what's so exciting about this is that XRP was considered not a security in some of these internal documents. So just give me about 15 seconds here to pull this up. I'm so sorry about this. Give me 10 seconds. Johnny, floor is yours. Yeah. So, um, you know, as we move forward, you know, obviously big news yesterday with the Hitman emails coming out, BC backer, everybody looking for a smoking gun, like what's going to happen here? Are we going to see kind of what we learned yesterday was we had this thing called the Howie test that's been out there since 1946. And we learned yesterday that Hinman decided to create the Hinman test and make up his own rule. And my favorite part of that rule was he came out and said, sufficiently decentralized. Yeah. I mean, what the hell does sufficiently decentralized even mean? There's no, no clarity behind that whatsoever, but Hinman decided to make that rule. And now, uh, and that's how he decided that. BC, BC, backer, I have a question for you. We are, we are seeing on stogs in the live chat. So please, is there something we should know? What is the frogs? What does that mean? It's Wednesday, my dude. It's Wednesday, so that's Frog Day. Yeah, you've never hey, you've never seen the It's Wednesday, my dude. I don't think so. I don't think they've seen it, BC. Oh man, I'm out of the loop. I'm out of the yeah. loop. Have Mario, have you seen it? Stuff. Yeah. Oh, tons of times, man. I watch okay. you all the time. All right, bro. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're just repping Wednesday, man. They're having there a good time. There we go, guys. And uh, BC Backer, I'm excited to get your thoughts on these two documents right here. So Johnny Crypto brought this up himself, guys. And for all of our listeners, this is the most important aspect to these emails being released. The SEC was privately developing something they were calling a Hinman test in order to address whether a digital asset was a security or something other than that. Well, here's the documents from internally within the SEC breaking down how XRP does not satisfy all prongs of the Howey test and therefore should not be considered a security. So I'm going to read briefly from this document and kick it right back to BCB. The SEC concluded that there are reasonable grounds for determining XRP does not satisfy each prong of the Howey test. Thus, there are reasonable grounds to conclude that XRP should not be considered an investment contract or a security within the meaning of the Securities Act or the Exchange Act. So what's being said in these documents, BCB? The SEC does not have control to regulate crypto, and that's why these Hinman speeches are so important. So how do you feel about this powerful statement? This is an email with William Hinman on it talking about how XRP is not a security. Um, I would cross-check that to make sure that one isn't this. I'm screen sharing. Um, I, I'm pretty sure that one, that this isn't Exhibit 220, because if this is Exhibit 220, uh, this is making its rounds all over Twitter, everywhere. People are pretending, you know, hype, 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 false hype that this is written by the SEC. Um, and it's like, you know, based on the above analysis and subject to the qualifications and assumptions set forth herein, we believe as of the day of this memorandum that you have reasonable grounds to conclude that XRP does not satisfy all elements of the Howey test. So can you click on that link of that person who uh, you just showed his tweet? Make sure it doesn't take us over here to uh, exhibit... Yes, it takes us to exhibit 220. Yeah, 220. This is clearly written by a third party, probably hired by Ripple. Um, to, and this has been provided to the SEC. Or they had a lawyer write them this so that they can say, we had professional advice given to us. Uh, this was, And we were under, and there's no way we could have thought that we were being irresponsible. There's no way we could have thought we were being crazy because we hired a lawyer and he wrote this up and he told us XRP is not a security, so we're safe. And um, so this one is being, it seems like on Twitter, 
falsely labeled as being written by the SEC and like uh, like the assumption was made, maybe even Bill Hinman, uh, but it's hidden. I actually think this is a, a company Ripple hired to write a, uh, a beautiful, beautiful piece uh, for them. So. Johnny, I want to get some thoughts from you as well. We're talking about the Hinman documents and thank you for breaking that down because I think it's very important. How about yeah. the Hinman test? Did this stick out to you yesterday? I mean, we had the Hinman test being revealed and obviously it was more in depth than the Howey test. But the problem is Ethereum Alliance members were working with William Hinman in order to create this. So how did you feel about the Hinman test? BCB. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't know. I, I didn't see that. Johnny, I'd love to kick it to you. What do you think after all these updates? Then we'll hear from BCB. Oh, yeah, we know that Hinman said he was going to, when he came up with his idea of sufficient, sufficiently uh, adequately, or he called it sufficiently decentralized, he said, well, we're going to check, you know, to make sure, see how Ethereum is running. So I'm going to consult with Vitalik. So he reached out to Vitalik and asked him a bunch of questions, and we don't have the content of that. But we know that he was consulting with you know the ethereum but only ethereum right so it's kind of like you know there was an analogy of like you're calling up the burglar and asking him you know if this is a bad crime or not it's kind of like so you know and everyone's like well why would he do that well there's 15 million reasons why he did that right we know that in his saying of coming out and saying the ethereum was not a security that there was a big prize on the other sides for him anyway that we all know now of the, the $15 million. So there's just a lot of controversy of was he trying to create, you know, this kind of story or narrative and then get that, collect that big payday and, you know, why just with Ethereum? And, and that's where, unfortunately, the whole ETH gate was born because you'll clearly see in the SEC emails, they're saying, hey, don't come out and say that about ETH. Don't say ETH is not a security because then we can't backtrack later. And well, he did it anyway. And then Clayton comes out and says, oh, by the way, you know, go check out the speech that Hitman did because this is how we determine whether things are secured or not. So the SEC put them in that position when that event happened to now create this whole ETHgate controversy, Abs, and that's why ETHgate exists. And and that was the whole narrative of people wondering how why the SEC was partnering with uh, Vitalik. That's what they were doing. He was trying to get an understanding of it, so I think he could say you know balance it on whether this is a security or not. And the way he got around it was he said, well, it's sufficiently <laughs> sufficiently decentralized, which to this day, nobody in the world knows what that means other than Hinman. Right. Yeah. And Johnny, I think these are a couple of revelations that we saw from the emails. The Ethereum free pass was confirmed. Regulatory capture. This is something I want to spend some time on here because we broke it down yesterday. William Hinman admitted there is a gray area in the law that allowed them to give Ethereum a free pass while outlawing other currencies. So Johnny... It's very interesting. Even the SEC in their internal documents is admitting they don't have full jurisdiction to regulate this market, but some some securities definitions apply, and that's why they're going to try to move in and give, I guess, Ethereum a free pass throughout this whole process. So well, I think, Abs, to me, if you were to ask me what was the biggest and most important part, because everybody's looking for a smoking gun. The reality is, for me, what I found to be the most interesting of the Hinman emails so far, and by the way, there's going to be tens of thousands of documents coming out. So we're going to learn a lot more going forward. But so far from what I've seen, one of the biggest things was the SEC coming out in one of those statements and emails and literally saying, we don't have the regular clarity and rules we need to regulate this space. They, they said, and, I, and I'm paraphrasing a bit, but that was generally the gist of the email in which it stated that. And, it, and it's like, hello. Yeah. The whole world knows that. 
The damn Howey test was started in 1946. We've got a technology that was patented in Bitcoin in 1988. Of course, there isn't a rule that makes sense for, for how to regulate the space because we haven't discussed it, right, in 40 years. So the reality is this is good. For you. Now they've got proof. We're literally saying from their own SEC, we need better rules and clarity, and hopefully Congress will do their job and put that in place so we can finally get there. Because abs, as I told you, I don't care about all the bickering. This I just want the industry to move forward. And the only way I believe that we're truly going to see adoption and innovation in this space is first clarity, regular clarity. So these companies can operate without being worried about getting pinched. And by the way, another thing regular clarity does, all that money that's sitting on the sideline, all the institutional money comes flooding into the space and then innovation will be tremendous, tremendous growth we'll get. But it all starts with clarity, regu regulation and clarity. And a lot of people are wondering, how could these Hinman documents actually impact the Ripple versus SEC case? John Deaton chimed in yesterday during a Twitter spaces. He said the documents themselves don't impact the judge underlying analysis of whether XRP was offered and sold by Ripple as an investment contract or XRP status in the secondary market within the U.S. The documents do assist Ripple in arguing that the speech caused greater market confusion, causing market participants to lack adequate notice of what was prohibited by existing law. And we talked a little bit about this before the show, BCB, but I'd love for you to just double down here with guys like Brad Garlinghouse and Stuart Alderati putting out statements that make it seem like they know they're going to win. Ever since XRP Las Vegas, Brad Garlinghouse has been increasingly outspoken about the SEC's corruption. And with this email being revealed, that could be why. So what sticks out to you most about these documents? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think that's too, and we, we kind of talked about that briefly, that it does have the appearance that pretty much every crypto company or, or not crypto company, every like coin, token, whatever you want to call it, uh, they can all claim fair notice now, right? Like, it's obvious. It's like there was an intentional big screw up with the SEC. I mean, I think one thing to point out too, is it doesn't look like it was I think a lot of times we paint the picture as it's the whole SEC that's corrupt and bad. I think we actually get to see that a lot of the SEC was like doing their job and being reasonable. And it was actually just a couple of players that totally screwed everything up. And these couple of players were the head guys, you know, and they, Bingo. Just, they yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think there's a lot of clarity or not. There's proof of a lack of clarity in the market for a fair notice defense, which also makes me wonder why, you know, last week did they go after the exchanges and name all these tokens? Because there's like zero chance they can go after these tokens individually now, knowing this was coming this week, right? They knew two weeks ago what they were handing over. They knew what was going to be in these documents. We're like, all right, what, what are we going to do here? We got to do something before this stuff gets out here. And maybe this was their like Hail Mary uh, this is what we're going to try to do. Well, they're in like Stuart Alderati says in, in Brad Garlinghouse, it's pathetic. Nothing, but none of this is going to stick. And that may just be where it is. They're backed into a corner and they did something crazy that is not going to pan out for them, but it just hurts public perce perception. Right. And maybe that's all they care about right now. Delay. That's kind of their thing. Delay hurt public perception for a while, stall the market for a little while. Um, but yeah, you, unfortunately it's so hard to have faith in Congress because Congress is so slow, but it does feel like something's going to have to change. Something's going to have to give. And, and these documents push that. But your question about Brad being so confident, boy, that was refreshing at XRP Las Vegas for that. Right. I mean, I think everybody felt the revival of that and needed to see that because he's got the inside look, right. We're on the outside looking in, he's on the inside looking out. <clears throat> so um, hopefully there's more that he knows of that we don't. 
and hopefully that summary judgment comes man and uh yep we just get things we need and here's an interesting update from John D in talking about the William Hinman emails. But as I was going through these documents, BCB, before I play this short video, I did want to get some thoughts from you because obviously we're looking back at the corruption from 2016, maybe even 2018. But with Gary Gensler regulating by enforcement, going after crypto exchanges because he can't attack individual projects. My question to you is what corruption do you believe is happening today? And are we going to be sitting here in 2027 talking about how Gary Gensler was corrupt the same way William Hinman is? Well, I think we've already talked about Gary Gensler being corrupt. I mean, him yeah, and fine. Elizabeth Warren are obviously on their own little journey here of doing something, um, whether, whether that's being issued from higher down. I know there's a lot of speculation that Gary Gensler wants to move his ranks up within the government. He's a, he's a, he's a perfect politician. You can't sit there in front of the financial committees and the Senate and be able to dodge questions the way you can delay unless you are a practice politician. This is not some dude who's a nerd about law no man he's a professional politician so is he doing something that's issued down the ranks that's going to earn him the brownie points to move his way up is it he seems like a person that it is incredibly important for him to have prestige and pride that he goes to fart sniffing events where they smell it out of the glass and they're all standing around with wine glasses thinking they're special. And they say, what did you do to your accomplishment? What's your legacy? And that he has to have this particular legacy left behind. And that's me speculating being a jerk. Um, but I, I don't know. And, you know, Goldman Gary is what he's called. Is there anything coming down the pike? Anything I say will be speculation, of course, but have they historically behaved like it? Is Gary inconsistent? Does he act like a politician? Is he intentionally manipulative? I'd answer yes on everything. So is there something probably what we'd be talking about another time? Will Gary cover his tracks better? Who knows? Um, but sooner we can get on with our lives. That would sure be nice. And this is a brilliant update from John Deaton yesterday. And guys, I want to remind our listeners later this afternoon, I believe it's 3 p.m. Eastern, John Deaton and uh, what's his name? Jeremy Hogan, both been on our channel, are going to be hosting an updated Twitter spaces talking about the Hinman documents. But here's a video from yesterday. We're going to play a couple minutes here. Here we go. This isn't a fucking conspiracy theory. This is a I think the audio went out. There's no audio. Yeah, no audio. Uh, Jay on this? Sullivan and Croft. Oh, you guys can't hear the audio on that video? We, we stopped hearing it for a moment. It started coming back just then. Okay, here we go. I'm going to play it again. Well, uh, Joe Lubin did a fantastic job when in hiring Sullivan and Cromwell attorneys as soon as Clayton was appointed, made one the deputy general counsel, and – Basically, that guaranteed a meeting. July, uh, December 13th, 2017, Joe Lubin and Consensus meet with Hinman and they discuss uh, uh, an alliance, the general counsel of Consensus. The next day, December 14th, I, I got all this proof on my, on my site, says we're building an alliance with the SEC. Between let me just pause it. I'm going to continue playing this, but let me just highlight what he said. He said, Joseph Lubin was working with William Hinman to create an alliance with the SEC and creating regulation. So I'm going to play another 30 seconds and go back to the group. Between that moment and June 8th, when they met with Vitalik, six to eight meetings were made with Hinman and the East folks, including John, uh, Chris Dixon at A16Z, Jay Clayton went to Chris Dixon, A16Z, said, put a memo together. Uh, Lowell Ness, their attorney in crypto, wrote a memo, gave it to 
uh, Hinman on March 26, 2018, met Hinman two days later on March 28, 2018, and they offered a safe harbor for ETH, and only ETH, the only token that was listed as someone who should be given safe harbor. And then there's this meeting that continued to happen. Then on June 11th, that's when the general office of general counsel says you shouldn't put ETH in and Hinman ignores it. He says, well, we believe ETH is sufficiently decentralized, but I'm going to talk to Vitalik and see if he confirms that. Now imagine going to Brad Garlinghouse or Joel. It's almost unbelievable, Johnny. He's going to go to the founder of the project and say, do you believe you're not a security? Are you decentralized enough? It's almost unbelievable. I'll start with you, Johnny, and then BCB. Why is it unbelievable? If you had $15 million knocking on your doorstep, you'd be fighting every damn way possible to say it's, it's not a security too. I mean, come on, guys. You, when, when you see things like this happening, the very first thing that pops in my mind is, what is the motivation? What is the incentive? Why are these people doing these things? Why are they forming a committee? Why is it just Lubin and Consensus and ETH? Where's the rest of the community? That's question number one, right? And then you say, oh, well, were they being paid by somebody to do something? You know, you can start to put the pieces together. You're never going to, it's not going to be, you know, an easy trail. They're not going to make it easy for you to see the collusion that was happening. But Jesus Christ, if you put one, one and one together, you can kind of see what was happening here and why we're in the position. In fact, if Ripple was giving them $15 million, I guarantee you Ripple would be sitting in that room instead. So I think that's unfortunately the sad part of this whole thing is that it was driven, you know, for some monetary purpose and it literally screwed the whole industry. And I agree with BC Backer. As you read those articles, you could kind of see the internal folks at the SEC were saying, no, don't do this. Don't do that. I think they really had good intentions of wanting to regulate or keep the at least not create more confusion for this space, right? But they didn't, they weren't obviously collecting the 15 million. It was just a few guys at the top. And, you know, so kudos to the guys on the inside of the SEC. But the reality is the SEC chair and Hinman screwed them when they went and, and did this anyway. If you want to hear from BC Backer as well and check out this video, I'm not going to play it because we did yesterday, but Jay Clayton actually refers to William Hinman's speech as guidance for the agency. And when he says, he tells his listeners, you know what, I'm going to play 10 seconds. I think it's worth it. We'll play 10 seconds of this clip and go to BCB. Recently outlined the approach we take to evaluate whether a digital asset is a security. And I encourage you to take a look at Bill's speech, which is available on our website. So it said, we recently outlined what is a digital asset versus digital security. And you can refer to William Hinman's speech on our website for guidance. That doesn't sound like personal opinion to me, but what do you think of BCB? Oh, yeah. No, it's not personal opinion. They're just hiding behind that cloak. And you even saw one of the comments in one of the edits. And it says, hey, we're just making sure that you're planning on adding the standard uh, uh, disclaimer that this is a personal opinion and not that of us. It's like yeah. every single thing you do, you won't provide guidance. You won't check mark it. You won't sign it. You won't say anything. But either way, yeah, obviously. And um that little clip that you just showed, that was also in Stuart Alderati's video that he had put out yesterday, that four-minute video um, <clears throat> showing Jay pointing to that speech, which uh, Bill went rogue on and did his whatever he was doing. Um, yeah, I mean, he met with Vitalik and all that stuff. <laughs> We've all seen it. We all have our own opinions of it. it. It is what it is. We'll see where it goes. 
And you know what? It's almost as if you're speechless, but I got another article to only add to that as the SEC snubs Coinbase seven-day rulemaking request, but says it could act within 120 days. And guys, we got 734 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And check a out- like. Let Hit that like, just like BCB said, and check out this latest update out of Coinbase because it could end up impacting all crypto exchanges in the United States. The SEC said it hasn't decided on rulemaking policy, even though in July of 2022, Coinbase petitioned the SEC to engage in rulemaking for the cryptocurrency industry. Later in April of 23, Coinbase submitted a court filing requesting a right of memorandus that would compel the SEC to act on their rulemaking petition. On June 7th of 2023, about two months later, the courts ordered the SEC to answer specific questions within seven days. This prompted the SEC's latest letter, arguing that Coinbase's extraordinary request for right of memorandus within seven days is without merit. Now, that was a mouthful for me, but what they're saying is they're not going to answer Coinbase's questions. The SEC stated that it does not decide Uh, It has not decided what action to take regarding Coinbase's rulemaking petition, nor has it decided to deny the request. The regulator also said that it should be there should be no specific deadline for any decision it might make. The SEC mentioned that its staff should anticipate a rulemaking by October 11th, but internally said it would at least at least need 120 days. This is pretty alarming, Johnny, especially coming from an industry built to protect investors. But what they are doing here is they're telling people the laws are in place to comply we disagree. What do you think of this article? Well, we know that the laws aren't in place. <laughs> Jeremy Hogan said at XRP Vegas, when you come in to go fill out the form, the very first question is, how many shares do you want to issue? Okay, we know that. So obviously the documentation, the laws, none of it is in place. We've all got more clarity around that as well. We clearly see that it's not happening. Now, what's sad here is you have the SEC almost going rogue here. The judge is saying, you got to do this thing on this date. And they're like, no, we're not doing it. Like, I- I didn't know that was possible. I thought if the judge said you need to do something, you need to do it. And the reality is, I guess, you know, who's enforcing that when when the judge says one thing? To to make a company wait 120 days. I mean, you're basically just, you know what this is, Abs? This is the good old-fashioned stall tactic. And it's sad because they're really going to hurt these companies. And why? Well, we know. Operation Choke Point is in full action. And that's what you're seeing. That's what's happening. I just hope. I can't wait to the day when we're past all this, when we're moving forward. And these, these right now, these companies should be worried about innovating and trying to keep up with the space in China and Asia that's kind of dominating. And instead of worrying about how to innovate and compete, they have to, they have to, you know, they're getting sued here and worried about answering to the SEC. And that's the problem. If you're sitting there fighting this battle, then you aren't over here innovating like you're supposed to be. And that's going to set the U.S. back and it's going to cost us many, many, many jobs. And BCB, I think this is an important detail as well. Earlier this week, we played a video from Coinbase CEO Brian Armstrong, and he actually he highlighted something very alarming. They have a broker's license to sell securities. Coinbase does. But the SEC will not let them activate that license, and now they're being sued for selling unregistered securities. So even worst-case scenario that all cryptos are securities, in theory, Coinbase would be one of the only exchanges actually eligible to sell them if the SEC would allow them to do so. So any brief comments here, BCB? Yeah, I forgot about that. They did that years ago, um, but, you know, obviously never came to fruition for anything. You know, I, I guess if it came down to that, you know, and then and then what would be the stipulations for somebody being allowed to trade crypto securities if they were, if they actually were securities? I'm not really sure what the, all the stipulations would be behind that. 
Um, but the second that like, you know, Coinbase does agree to it and says, okay, they're securities, we'll trade them as securities. Then like there becomes this like guidance in the market saying, hey, look, see these, all of you other guys are illegal. This is the way to do it. I don't know. I just hope it doesn't come to that. When I think of crypto, I don't think of it as a security. I don't think of it as um, just owning rights to anything, man. It's like yeah. part of the wild west of my money, man. It's, you know, it's not, I, I just hope we don't get to that. I hope it really isn't like that. That's not the crypto I joined. So yeah. And you know what, BC, you're right. You're not owning rights. If you buy XRP, you don't own Ripple, the company. I mean, they're two completely different things, right? And and you don't own the rights to that. So that's why it is kind of a confusing space and it's different than your conventional stocks. And that's why the Howey test really doesn't make sense. And we really need Congress to come out and create some regulation around this space based on what it is. And I agree with you. They move extremely slow at a snail's pace. I don't know when we're going to get that regulation. Oh, man, I... If they actually have to wait the four months, it, it's over, man. Like this is going to go on forever. This is the SEC's tactic. This is yep. Gary Gensler's playbook. Hundred percent. Wait, 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 wait. Get through an election, f four years, whatever. I mean, we're talking. If he really waits that four months just to get the reply, that's going to be a one-page, broad, no-answer reply in four months from right now. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you, you know it will be. Yep. Uh, it's game. I mean, this is going to, and this going to cost them a couple million dollars in lawyer fees waiting. <laughs> like it's going to dang man. If the judge grants that or whatever, I don't know what phase it's in right now. If the judge has granted that or not, uh, hopefully that does not happen. And one of the things we do know is that Gary Gensler and Elizabeth Warren have been communicating behind the scenes for quite a while. And Johnny brought it up operation <laughs> choke point 2.0. Well, those are two of the officials leading that narrative. And here we have Tim Draper, a billionaire entrepreneur in the United States. He's commenting on uh, Gary Gensler saying that the crypto industry is full of hucksters, fraudsters, scam artists, and Ponzi schemes. So all of them above, they just forgot drug distributors. But guys, we're going to play this video and go back to the group. Here we go. No aspersions or nothing. Uh, what do you make of his, his comments here? You know, um, weak regulators spread fear. And strong regulators uh, spread opportunity. And uh, I think we've got a real problem because the SEC has been spreading fear. And all of the innovators are leaving the country. And there's a huge problem we have. This regulation by enforcement makes no sense. We want the great, technology to, great technologies to stay in the U.S., and they're all going to Dubai and Singapore and Northern Europe and South America and all over the world. And that they're, they're all saying, oh, it's all about the Howey test. The Howey test was 80 years ago, and it, it has no relevance to crypto. I think crypto needs to be regulated in a new way. From and Johnny, this is what I want to highlight here. You remember back when they first launched the internet in the early 2000s. Imagine if America outlawed that technology. Imagine if America said Google's not allowed to register here, Facebook can't register here, but they can register in China and then let Americans operate on their platform. The whole thing makes no sense. If they do call all crypto securities, we're still going to be able to operate in this market. It's just going to be hindered. It's just going to push the actual, uh, I guess, the good players, the real players in this market they're going to go overseas, and that's what we're seeing right now. So floor is yours, and then BCB. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of, you know, the, again, when we have Mark Yusko on the show, right, he said the question is more important than the answer. The question here is why is the number one country in the world of innovators, 
right? We are the number one innovator in the world. No longer pursuing innovation. That's the question. Why? Well, you could clearly see it. Everybody's talking about it. All the innovations are all being pushed out. The companies have said it. We're not doing here. Brad has said it. We're operating like we can't operate in the U.S. And everybody is setting up companies in Dubai, in Hong Kong, in London. All the the, the innovation center for crypto, unfortunately, in blockchain is going to be outside of the U.S. So the question you have to ask yourself, why does the U.S. want that? I don't get it. I hope somebody's got an answer. I don't know the answer. But why are we seeing the number one innovating country in the world saying, no, nope, we don't want it. Here, you guys take it. You do it. Because that's what we're seeing. Because no way in the world would our SEC be going after these companies if we wanted to innovate in this space. They would be saying, hey, they'd be lobbying the shit out against us saying, you're going to make this happen. And instead, we're seeing just the opposite. And I don't know the answer why, Abs. It's very sad that we're not seeing it happen here in the U.S. And the reality is, until the U.S. decides, and, and again, maybe it has something to do with the leader at the top. Maybe we need a change. Maybe in 2024, if there's a change, Maybe we'll see a policy difference and maybe we'll see innovation. I don't know the answer, but God, I hope it comes quick because it's sad to see. We know this technology is going to drive the future. Blockchain will drive, you know, spur the growth of Web 3.0. And it's going to be a sad day if America isn't part of that because um, we have some of the best minds in the world. One of the reasons you got to love Twitter is they stay ahead of the game when it comes to the fact checking. And Gary Gensler tweeted this out yesterday. There's nothing, nothing about the securities market suggests that investors and issuers are less deserving of protections of our securities law. Congress could have said this back in the 1930s that securities law only applied to stocks and bonds, but it did not. Well, here we have the fact checkers at Twitter commenting on Gary Gensler and actually saying that's not true. It's important to note that the application of the Howey test to cryptocurrencies and digital assets is still a topic of debate and an ongoing for regulatory scrutiny. Furthermore, the SEC does not have the unilateral power to declare anything they wish a security. Wow, that's just another reason to buy the Twitter stock. But BCB, what, what's it mean to you? <laughs> Sorry, my dog is losing it right now. I'm sure you can hear him. I think that's the okay. mailman showed up or something. Blame uh, the mailman. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, Gary, all right. Cool. I always like, I don't ever really read what he says. I just go down and see who ratioed him in the comments. <laughs> <laughs> I love I mean, it. Dude, who gets clowned on like that on Twitter? Nobody. Nobody. So I'm surprised uh, he still has his comments turned on. Like, honestly. Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, the amount of hate that he gets. Yeah. yeah. So that's cool to see the context got added in there. Hopefully that continues. Uh, I'm sure it will continue now that people have like thought about, oh, why didn't we think about doing this before? Um, cause obviously people do a very good job ratioing him in the comment section. That's always a pleasure. Johnny. And this is an article I wanted to He's get. He's so to. hateable. He's just so hateable. Yeah. <laughs> he you, know funny, you know, what's funny BC when I remember when they first were bringing him on board, they were choosing like, who's going to be the new head. And you know, Gary's name started getting tossed around. It was like, Oh, this is great. He's an MIT guy. He teaches blockchain. He understands it. They even playing all his videos where he was talking about, you know, XRP is a currency and it can be used for it. So everybody was so excited for this man to come in here. And then he came in and he, either he did a complete 180 uh, or somebody at the top said, this is the agenda we want you to push. And, and I'm betting on the latter, but we'll, we'll have to wait and see. And here's some big news for the SEC as they lost in a recent case. U.S. judges rebutes the SEC's request for Binance.us assets to freeze. And this is really important because the SEC, for the first time ever, is getting pushback from federal judges when it comes to regulating the crypto market. 
The, the federal overseeing the United States Securities and Exchange Commission's case against Binance declined the order to temporarily freeze the U.S. trading forms assets. That would allow the U.S. arm of the company to continue doing business while hashing out restrictions with the regulator. The judge ordered Binance.us to provide a list of business expenses to the court and ordered the parties to continue negotiating. A status update is due by a business by the close of business day on Thursday. The judge hammered the SEC attorneys about their motion to freeze all the company's assets until it could prove that no one from Binance Global Platform, including CZ, had access to its private keys. Now, Johnny, why is this so important? They couldn't prove the evidence that CZ was moving these assets offshore. So it's another win for American exchanges here. How do you feel about this? Well, no, it's a win. It's a small win in the battle that's starting for, for Binance and CZ and good for them because, again, I'm not going to lie. I want to see – we need some wins on the other side, Abs. We need to see uh, – and it's good that the courts are operating, you know, with, with, with fair and, if, you know, injustice in this event and not just siding with the SEC on everything because the SEC has come out and pointing, blaming you with this, blaming you with that, and then no evidence? Are you kidding me? Like what, what – <laughs> like how are we even getting this far? If they have no evidence, think about what Binance had to do. They had to already shut down the whole entire fiat trade in USD because they feared this was coming, right? And they stopped it. So now if you're a a, a trader or user of that exchange, you're screwed. You can't make, if you're in the US anyway, now you can't make trades in, in dollars. You can't send them in. You can't send them out. They just make life difficult for everybody. For what? Because an accusation that's not even true? They could disrupt an entire business? To me... This is where we need a better, we need, we have to operate with more integrity. It's very, very sad to see this happening. But again, I'm not surprised because I understand the agenda. If you understand Operation 2.0, you totally understand what's going on. To close out the episode for today, I'd love to get some comments on this. The judge hammered the SEC's attorneys about their instingence to freeze order. The judge also was frustrated by the SEC's inability to answer the simple question of whether U.S. customer assets had been transferred overseas. She said, it's stunning that I've each of you for this and no one can provide me any evidence. So BCB, what's it mean to you? Uh, I, I'm not sure how to read too far into it, but I think the thing that at least is there is that you know, the SEC is trying to paint us as fraudsters, hucksters, scammers. I'm not sure if you guys have seen that guy's video over there on circulating around Twitter. He made a song about it. It's hilarious. We, you know, does like the audio remix with uh, Gary Gensler. It's fantastic. And, but, you know, that's what we're getting painted as, right? And what if they painted Binance as? They painted it as a criminal enterprise practically. And, uh, and that also includes Binance US. And so I think the court kind of said, uh, you've, haven't really done a good enough job painting that picture to me. Um, I haven't seen the evidence, so I'm not going to like freeze their assets. And so, you know, at least it's like one little victory of being like, we're not fraudsters, hucksters, and scammers. Um, that's really, uh, otherwise, like he's like, trying to say, you've got a long battle ahead. Absolutely. And one final question I have for you here. The live chat has been asking for the list of cryptos that blockchain backer wants to buy, mm -mm. But will not reveal. So I got to do the people a favor here. Can you reveal anything about this list? No, I don't want to reveal it. No. I got to ask the questions. I'm just saying you can yeah, say Yeah, bro. It's good. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. Well, see, here's the deal. Here's what it is. You can name off your whole list. And like we like we see, you clearly look at 2019, two out of 10. Even if your list has five out of 10, that rock and roll, you'll, still never, you'll never hear the end of the other yeah. five out of the 10. <laughs> He's so, so spot so, on. Uh, yeah, I have to figure out a way to, to present that. I'm, I'm probably one day. Uh, but definitely not just 
throwing them out there. Yeah, and then I'll get called a shill, right? Like a <laughs> That's yeah, Look at that shill. You can't <laughs> win, man. You can't that, win, right? With that being said, guys, we're going to close win. the show out the same way we always do by saying thank you to each one of our special guests. Thank you to Johnny Crypto. Thank you to the Node Defender. And thank you to Blockchain Backer, of course. We look forward to collaborating again sometime soon. We got 698 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button on the way out of here. We'll see you guys in 23 hours. And like we always say, Warriors, rah, get your shit together, baby. Thank you for joining us. Let's go. <laughs>